This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, June 9th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. When the Cato Institute's Mustafa Akiol watches protests unfold in the United States, he's reminded of a similar time in Turkey. The protests there were simply known as Gezi Park, and they didn't exactly work out as protesters would have hoped. He believes there are clear lessons for American protesters. We spoke this week. What is going on uh, in Minneapolis, in Louisville, in cities uh, across the United States in response to uh, violence perpetrated by police, um, largely against either unarmed people or uh, people uh, where police did not have a justifiable cause of action? This is uh, nominally the reason why people are out there uh, protesting. Um, you saw something similar in Turkey seven years ago. You were there for it. So describe to me what was Gezi Park. Well, the Gezi Park protests, as they're called in Turkey, was probably the biggest social protest movement in the history of Turkey, modern-day Turkey. And uh, it was, again, a reaction to a police action, uh, some excess some wrongdoing of the police and it just triggered and that triggered it and just turned into a nationwide protest against the government the system if you will uh so there are some similarities that i see there of course there are some differences too i mean the killing of george floyd was an unimaginable brutality i mean it was really really evil what triggered the gezi park protest was something less tragic. I mean, it was police gassing a group of peaceful environmentalist protesters in the park. And I think in the United States, there is 400 years of slavery and discrimination against African-Americans. So there's a deeper history there. In Turkey, you could argue that, you know, the Gezi Park protests were against a government whose authoritarian colors were becoming visible, but you can speak of a deep history there as well. Um, on the other hand, there are lessons from what happened. I mean, in, in Turkey, these Gezi Park protests went for about a month. And ultimately, if it left Turkey divided between people who saw the protests as a justified social reaction to authoritarianism versus people who perceived this as the anarchy created by Wendels and looters and 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 also maybe some foreign conspiratorial powers which were behind them. And President Erdogan, which uh, he was prime minister at the time, which represented and, and propagated the second view, came out ultimately stronger in criminalizing the protesters. There are still people in Turkey's jails who are blamed, quote-unquote, for organizing Gezi Park protests. That in itself is deemed as a crime. And it was a chance for Turkey for, you know, for the rest of society to understand why the other part of society is angry. But ultimately, it just divided the society. And I would see the, I would hate to see the same thing happen in the United States. Yeah. So I, I spoke with Fabio Rojas uh, for the, the Cato podcast uh, a few days ago. And uh, his basic uh, takeaway was, look, whether or not you believe that violence is justified, some people do. Uh, and uh, certainly, I think you can make a strong case for that. Um, but whether or not it is justified, it is fundamentally a different question than whether or not it is a good strategy. I agree with that. I, I, I'm in favor of nonviolent protests uh, and the right, the right to do that. 
But when protests turn violent, first, I would argue against that from a principled point of view, especially against private property. Uh, also, I don't think they're efficient. I mean, there are some people, I see them on Twitter these days saying, oh, you know what? O they only understand from violence. You know, looting makes people understand that we have a problem here. I think quite the contrary. Uh, violence protests, vandalism, looting of private property, shop stock, that kind of stuff delegitimizes the protest. And it helps those who want to delegitimize the whole idea behind it. This has happened in Turkey. For example, the Gezi Park protests were mostly peaceful. Uh, actually, there was less there was less vandalism there that, that what I, than what I see in the U.S. these days. But there were some excesses. There were some uh, burning of police cars, destruction of some public property, some bank ATMs, some TV stations. And the pro-Erdogan propaganda machine, as I can call it, just focused on those. And you were seeing that all the time. And these are violent looters and destructors and so on and so forth. That helped delegitimize the much broader element, which was really peaceful and which was just trying to make its voice heard. So I think, I mean, th that in itself is just one lesson for any protest movement around the world is that by uh, going violent, by, by uh, passing that threshold, you are not helping your cause. What is your advice then for uh protesters, organizers, or just uh, average people who are very concerned about police brutality and how they ought to go about uh, their protest? Well, first of all, define what do you want to achieve. You're angry and you're expressing your anger. That's legitimate. But merely expressing your anger, especially if it becomes counterproductive, is not a strategy. Try to also, try to understand that by these protests, what you should achieve is to broad, is to win the broad sympathy of society. There are people who are not maybe aware of the police brutality, of racism, and things like that. So, by your protests, you want to reach out to those people to sh to show those people that there's a real problem here. So you can you can also influence their conscience. But if you do this in a way that you are actually condemning those people, condemning condemning the broader society, and looking as if you're threatening them. You're not going to achieve anything. Uh, also, make make your make your goals clear. What do you want to achieve? Tearing down the system. Well, that is not a goal, right? I mean, what does it mean? Uh, say, like, we want to have these goals fulfilled. For example, there's a great idea that the Cato Institute has been advocating for many years, that is uh, abolishing the idea of qualified immunity. I mean, the legal sh shield or unlawful shield, as Cato uh, defines it. It gives police officers the uh, blank check, you know, to behave in the way they want, and then they can get away, uh, thanks to that, from legal prosecution. Things like this say, well, we want qualified immunity to abolish. We want these things to be done. So these are the legal demands that we have so that people can look at these and say, yes, this makes sense and you can go forward. But if you're just expressing anger and in a counterproductive way, then I think you're not helping yourself. So, um, you know, when watching these protests from the United States in other parts of the world, it, it you know, we don't see a lot of pictures from those other parts of the world otherwise. 
And so it, it's easy, I think, for Americans to look at that uh, uh, violence or massive protests in other parts of the world and, and look at it and say, well, gosh, that looks like a very violent part of the world. It is indeed. I mean, uh, I should say this. I mean, as someone who's been advocating the right uh, for free expression, including the public protests and nonviolent ones, I've always pointed to the U.S., pointed to the U.S. As you see, it works in America. Anybody, anybody can march in America, regardless of their ideology, whether they're far right, far left, whatever, or they're condemning the government. In front of the White House, you can condemn the White House, I mean, the person sitting there, the president. So there is this great American tradition of allowing expression. And if this is curtailed uh, today, and that can happen by extreme behavior on both sides, and because I think public protests, when they turn violent, they uh, provoke a harsh response from the authorities, and that turns into a vicious silence, a uh, vicious cycle. If America cannot manage to you know, go through this period with peaceful protests uh, legally allowed and some social progress taking place out of that, then we will have not a great example anymore to point out. Uh, and I think there will be a lot of whataboutism. A lot of authoritarian regimes will say, you know what, you want our opposition figures to walk freely in the streets of America. They don't allow that even in America. Uh, or they will say, people criticize us for cracking down on uh, public rallies. This, the same thing is happening in the so-called land of freedom. So there will be a lot of propaganda based on that. Actually, I see this. I mean, I see, for example, the Iranian regime, the Chinese regime, making tongue-in-cheek statements, saying that uh, we are concerned about the uh, safety of uh, protesters in American streets. I mean, they are hypocritical because they don't allow any protests, even peaceful ones. But I think America should not give them that propaganda resource. It's certainly unfortunate that uh, violent protest in the United States is feeding uh, the propaganda machines of these other countries. But do you have a sense of how average people look at the United States? Of course, there are protests on behalf of what's going on in the United States in other countries as well. So so how are people, you know, do you have a sense of how the, the median person in those other countries views what's going on here? I mean, I've seen in Turkey that uh, in for some of the supporters of the government and the pro-government media has been quite sympathetic to the protests here uh, because they're putting this as evidence of the injustice of the American system. You know, African-Americans, Black people are being persecuted in America, they're discriminated against, and now they are rising up, and that's a great thing. So they're putting it that way. The funny thing is that when they look their, look at their own protests, they would depict the same thing as a conspiracy, a conspiracy by America, by the CIA. Uh, I mean, one of the most interesting aspects of the Gezi Park events is that the people who joined the protests thought they are protesting authoritarianism. But the government, President Erdogan, who was prime minister at the time, and his all the media who supported him, depicted this as a pre-planned conspiracy by the Western intelligence services, by the German Lufthansa, because supposedly Lufthansa was obsessed with the Turkish new airport 
that was being built, or by George Soros, you know, all these conspiratorial imagined powers out there. Uh, and now it is funny that I see those same people uh, saying that, you know, they support the protests in, in the United States. So there is a hypocrisy there. Other people, I think, uh, see the fact that Americans can walk peacefully in their streets. They can say whatever they say to the president, to the authorities, and probably they admire that. But I think there's a lot of spinning going on, I think, by authoritarian regimes. Uh, and that idea, by the way, of, a, of protest as conspiracy is the hallmark of authoritarian regimes. Uh, China does that, you know, to crack down on its opposition movements. Iran does that. We see that a lot of that in Turkey. Uh, and, and I'm afraid to see similar narratives in the United States too. Oh, who's behind these protests? Oh, George Soros and this and that. Uh, well, you should try to understand why these things are happening rather than building a conspiracy around it. Uh, the fact that there are wrong elements in the protests doesn't, you know, make it a big conspiracy. You, sh you, sh you should still understand that there is a social dimension to it. I think that's the lesson people, I think, from looking more on the right in America should see. On the other hand, people who are more on the left should understand that uh, protests are legitimate and there's a legitimate case here. But if they just say violence is good, it tears down the system, they will not be achieving anything. They will be harming society. Uh, and, and their own cause as well. Mustafa Akiola is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>